This episode of Blacktop Banter is brought to you by Craftco, the world's leading manufacturer of packaged pavement preservation materials and equipment for the asphalt industry. Learn more at craftco.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's another episode of Blacktop Banter. And today, uh, I have a friend of mine, been a friend for a while, Captain Brandon Bateman. Brandon is a captain with a major commercial airline. And... Uh, Man, we stumbled into a crazy conversation the other night. So I'll kind of let you introduce yourself, Brandon. Tell us um, kind of how you got into this, how long you've been doing it, that type of stuff. Sure. Yeah. I've um, again, I'm Brandon Bateman. I've been a uh, commercial airline pilot for uh, quite a few years. Started in 2004 uh, with a regional airline, and then have since uh, moved on to a, a major airline, and now uh, I'm a captain there, flying a 737. And have a accumulated a fair amount of experience. I've got about thirteen thousand hours of uh, commercial flight time. So that's quite a bit. Yeah, it's a fair amount. They so, say it takes ten thousand hours of anything to get to mastery. Yeah, that's so okay. you're above there now. Yep. So you know, I've got like I said, a bit of experience. You really elevated yourself. Yeah. Went to new heights. <laughs> How many more puns? Yeah. 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 You could say I'm up there. Yeah, um, for sure. So yeah, no, we, we I know we were having a conversation while uh, I was in the area, and um, we were talking about some interesting aspects to my work and the kinds of thinking that we have to take into account with respect to uh, flying in the uh, into in and out of airports that have conditions that might not be great. Ideal, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so we, we met. Um, we both went, attended a local church together, yeah. and then um, our children go to school together. And uh, we've always had great conversations, it seemed like. So we were actually outside of Blacktop Banner office because right next to us, which some people may pick up on the sounds once in a while, is a jujitsu studio. And uh, they have children's classes and adults' classes, those types of things. And I was leaving Blacktop Banner as uh, the jujitsu classes were starting to let out. And it was wet. It was like slushy, kind of snowy going on. And we were looking at the Blacktop out here in the parking lot, which is in rough shape. And for some reason, my brain was like, what's it like, you know, for you? Because obviously they ground us sometimes when we've, I've been flying a lot and they're like, yeah, you're not going anywhere. But sometimes those con- those conditions come in and then you have to land, right, during those conditions, those types of things. So that's where the, the conversation got started was like, dude, how big of an impact is the pavement at airports, taken into consideration when you're, number one, getting educated to fly and you have, like, hundreds of lives, right, behind you. Right. And then also, um, what have you learned in the field and what are some of the scenarios you remember and what some of the airports where it's really awful and that type of stuff. So we started going down that path, and I was like, whoa, 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 we want to talk about it. So let's kind of start, I guess, with flight school. Um, do they touch on that much or or anything as far as p- different types of pavement, pavement conditions, what you can expect, that type of stuff? Yeah, and when you're doing your initial training in flight school, you don't really talk about it a whole lot. You, you're more focused on the actual control elements of an aircraft. However, um, when you start talking about more accurate performance as you work your way through to a commercial certificate, and then on to an air transport pilot certificate. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely have at that point in time been um, flying for long enough that 
you are exposed to various different types of um, landing surfaces, anything from a soft grass field all the way up through hard paved surfaces, mm -hmm. uh, both asphalt and cement concrete. concrete. Yeah. So, um, and then there's variations on on those, whether they're grooved or not grooved. That's what I was just going to ask you. I was yeah, like, dude, and, I see a lot of grooved ones too. Yeah, and most of the runways that we have in the United States, especially at commercial airports, are all grooved runways. Okay. And that's to help shed the water away from the runway so that you don't have a water, standing water buildup mm -hmm. um, when, the, when the wheels touch down. Or yeah. when you're taking off and if you have to stop the airplane suddenly before you take off, so rejecting the, the takeoff. Yeah, that makes um, sense. You, you need to be able to stop and have good good contact between the tire and the and the surface. So a lot of the runways are grooved here. However, internationally, there are a lot of runways <laughs> that are not grooved, and and that actually comes into um, our landing performance calculation okay. as far as what we're capable of doing, what the environment is giving us as far as rain, uh, and also uh, how much uh, rubber deposit there might be on a particular runway. Oh, really. They take that into account as well. Yeah, so not necessarily for the purposes of um, our runway length or the distance requirement, but just for our own personal planning. I mean, if it's if it's a moist day and you've got a lot of rubber deposit on a runway, as you break out of the clouds or you can see the runway, you can see how much rubber deposit there is. You'll have a really good idea as to what kind of braking you're going to have initially when really? you touch down. And um, do they clean that off? Do they they, they do. Um, Every every country is a little bit different mm -hmm. as far as what their requirements are. Um, outside of the United States, they have IK, ICAO standards, ICAO, okay. uh, International Civil Aviation Organization. Their um, their protocols are a little bit different, but still um, similar enough to what the FAA here in the United States requires. Okay. And that that is any any time you've got an airport with a, an operation of two hundred and ten landings. Yep. Or more. Yeah. Um, every week they have to do a runway inspection. How do they uh, clean it off? Uh, they you use uh, high-pressure water. Oh, hot, really? Really, really okay. hot water. They so use they have hot these water, trucks. Wash high, the yeah. Trucks. So it's basically a high. It's a pressure wash that they do, and then they vacuum it all up. Dang. And uh, it's not just the the pavement, but also the lights, because every time an airplane lands, yep, you're going from a hundred and uh, roughly a hundred and forty to a hundred and seventy-five miles an hour yep. uh, at touchdown. Um, obviously we, we fly and we, everything's in knots for us, but I converted it for you. So, you, I mean, you're doing roughly 150 to 160 miles an hour when you touch down. And right. so your wheels aren't moving. Yeah. They're not rotating. They, they go from zero to 160. Like that. Instantaneously. And mm -hmm. uh, So every time a, a tire touches down, it's dropping about one and a half pounds of rubber on the runway. Get out. And most airplanes have six tires total, two on each uh, main truck. So that's why you hear the skirt. Right away yep. when you hit, because yep. they're get, they're catching up to yep. pace and they're dropping yep. a they're, pound of rubber. Yep, pound and a half for each tire, and uh, so you know you have a bunch of operations, two hundred and ten or more. You're putting down a significant amount of rubber on yeah. that runway. Yeah, heck yeah. And and so that rubber. What uh, happens if it's not clean? Then you essentially you slide. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What happens is you will have a greater chance of sliding. Yes. Uh, so. Um, You'll hydroplane much more easily if there's any moisture in the air. Um, and there's there's places where you're at like a high-density altitude or a high just a high altitude like um, uh, Mexico City is a mm -hmm. prime example. Really long runway. 
but that really long runway is pretty meaningless if you don't get the <laughs> airplane stopped before the last 3,000 feet right. of runway because they don't do a very good job cleaning their runway. It's not very frequent that they're, they're cleaning it down there. Dang, man. Uh, and then because you're a higher elevation, your airspeed is actually higher. Your true airspeed as you move across the ground is actually higher because um, you're because the air is so thin. Dang, man. So you're actually moving across the ground quite a bit faster. So your touchdown speed's higher, and yeah, like I said, if you so do you, when you when you land and you're hitting the rubber, do you adjust then with the flaps yeah, on the wings? You're so still, well, if you not start the to flaps, feel a slide one way or another, what do you adjust with? Yeah, so you're working with uh, your rudder, which is still effective with oh, airspeed. So okay. your rudder pedals. So, so you're, that's you're, how you adjust. You're working with your feet at that point. So, so crazy, dude, and, to think about that, that, yeah. the, that the rubber is causing a slide and you're having to adjust yep. with the rudder to keep yourself straight. Yeah, trying to try to straighten out. If you've got a crosswind, you'll use a little bit of aileron as well to help I wonder hold, hold if they wheel. clean that rubber, especially like here in the States. I wonder if that's privatized and it, they... It's, I believe it's a yeah, contracted company through the airport authority. That'd be pretty cool to have somebody like that on yeah. to talk about the process of that. Because I... I I, that's that's can't be like a an easy job like you know it, for them to drive out and do it all the time and have it contracted but yeah, it's, it's definitely a cool job yeah it's a it's a once a week inspection that they're doing and a lot of times the um uh the cleaning process it would take too long to do the whole runway because they they're not just cleaning the runway they also have to clean all the lights because the lights on the runway so we've got center, on the ground the ground lights yeah the ground lights so you got you've got runway centerline lights on yep. a big major runway as well as runway edge lights and you have touchdown zone lights as well that are also in pavement lights oh okay and so just because the tire touches down in one particular spot doesn't mean that that's where all the rubber went right uh the rubber because it's going from you know you're going taking a tire like a you know 0 to 100 150 160 miles an hour instantaneously yep um you know what's happening is that a lot of that rubber is also atomizing, popping into the air, and then settling. Settling down on and, the lights. Uh, and the lights. And so the lights are actually getting coated as well. And the lights are really critical for us. If we didn't, if we can't see the lights, you know, coming down, it's like flying into a black hole. I was going to say, you can't even see where your landing zone right. is, where the edges are. Yeah, and we use our peripheral vision um, below mm-hmm. to help judge our rate of closure with the runway. And if the, if the lights aren't adequate coming in at night or in a low-visibility situation... Uh, you may not even have a chance to to make the landing if it's a low vis situation, but Dang, um, when you come into land, the landing performance, how you touch down, is impacted as well. You drop a pound and a half of rubber or whatever off of one spot of any tire. Yeah, you're gonna have a knot on that tire on that one spot for sure. I would yeah. think, if not all the way around. Yeah, they start. start to get a little bit out of balance, and if they get enough out of balance, then you know we write that up. Yeah, and okay. then they, they usually have to do a tire change. Then it's important to feel safe on an airplane. Yeah, <laughs> for no matter no matter what seat you're sitting right, in. Right, <laughs> exactly. I, I won't take an aircraft into the air if I don't think it's safe. For sure, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Now that spring is here, it won't be long before we're back out in the field. And a key part of being successful this year is making sure we have the products we know and trust to get the job done right each and every time. That's why we use Craftco for all of our crack and joint sealant needs. Craftco products are safe, easy to use, and consistent in their quality and performance, so we spend less time troubleshooting and more time building jobs. Plus, Craftco's industry-leading service and support team means they're ready to assist with any questions we do have along the way. So, if you're ready to ditch the hassle and the headaches this year, 
Visit Craftco.com and give their products a try. I know you'll be glad you did. That's C-R-A-F-C-O.com. From their iconic hot boxes to their infrared machines, and now the KM Blacktop Banner Edition seal coating unit, KM International has established itself as one of the toughest and longest-lasting equipment manufacturers in the asphalt world. Check out KM International on all forms of social media, and be sure to see all they have to offer at KMInternational.com. Recently unveiling their electric line of rollers and plate compactors, Dynapack continues to make an impact in the asphalt industry, literally. They lead the way in innovation when it comes to compaction. For their full product lineup, visit Dynapack.com. Dynapack, your partner on the road ahead. Hey there, Blacktop Banner fans. This is Hayden. I am the co-founder of Spot On Sight, a mobile app that's going to help you guys scope jobs faster, win more work, and communicate seamlessly with your customers and with your team. Uh, We're asphalt contractors ourselves. We run an asphalt paving company based out of Denver, Colorado. So we built this mobile app to help you guys out to ensure that you guys are no longer losing work because of poor proposal presentation and you're no longer losing money because of inefficiencies and punch list items and all the headaches that we go through as contractors. So check us out. We have a free 14-day trial on spotonsiteapp.com. You guys can try it out, and we'd love for you guys to get started. We know this is a game-changing app that will help you measure and mark your locations and your parking lots, document using time-stamped photos, videos, and comments, and send professional-looking reports to your customers. Check us out, spotonsiteapp.com. When when we flew out recently, we were coated in uh, antifreeze, right? Like a de-icing. A de-icing fluid, sure. Yeah, and I for some reason, I didn't realize like how thick that stuff is. Yeah. Even when we were in the air for 20 to 25 minutes, I could still see it trickling, like, back. trickling back, right? And I'm like, yeah. man, this stuff is in the crevices, in the groove. It like, gets everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It, it seeped in there. But. Yeah, so yeah, there's two different types of solution that we use. Um, one's pink i've noticed yeah, before yeah, so one's the, green yeah so the pink is that's a type one okay. uh, that they use to remove any contaminants so like your okay. frost your snow whatever ice is built up on the aircraft they'll use that and kind of it's like um a heated hot water say, bath basically it but it's quite a bit yeah it's a heated solution it's a 50 50 generally glycol hot water mix yep um so they they blast that on it's pretty thin it and it won't protect you from any falling precipitation very well so mm-hmm. If there's other precipitation coming down, it wasn't just frost. It wasn't just ice that was residual on the aircraft. Um, they'll have to do an additional treatment of what we call a type four solution. That's a, um, it looks like a green slime. Dude, it's thick. It's thick it does. slime. It it's, looks it's like 100% uh, from the glycol. Ghostbusters when yeah. slimers like exactly. Do it looks just like it. Yep. Yeah. It's like, you know, it looks like you know slimer's been there, right? So um, yeah, that green slime is a hundred percent glycol solution. It's designed to to trap contaminants, so snowfall or anything that's coming down, it's designed to trap it. Yep. Whatever the type of precipitation it is to, uh, de- determines how long that solution will be good for mm-hmm. uh, because eventually um, that'll start to freeze as well. But, um, you know, for the most part, it's good for an hour to two hours um, mm-hmm. sitting on a wing um, for most precipitation types. And then as you take off, it's designed at about 80 knots. So... 
uh, roughly about 92 or so miles an hour. It's designed to start shedding off the wing and just peel back, but it does get into everything. So you'll see residual elements of that solution trickling back over the course of a good portion of a decent flight. Before we get hours. before we get into like weather conditions and whatnot on pavement, that green I noticed it on an American Airlines flight. Forgive me for not um, knowing exactly what type of plane or whatever it was, but it was it was thick, right? And are are they like whatever the like buoys or cylinders, whatever that are under the wings, the I don't know if the flap fairings in the back. They're could, on the the back. Could be. Of the they wing. kind of look like triangles, I guess, coming out the back. I'm yeah. sure they're under there. The whole thing. Those are generally flap fairings. But there was like, there was a spot there where the green slime, yeah. like the wind wasn't pulling it off there. Like somehow over the aerodynamics, it was safe right there. And that spot stayed the whole entire flight, and you could just see it kind of move a little bit. Right. But everything else around it was just shedding everywhere. And I was like, dude, that's totally cool that in this one spot. Even though we're going this fast, it's not pulling that off. Yeah, there. that's because it's out outside of the uh, the slipstream of the the wing. So you got the laminar flow of air over top of the surface of the wing, and it creates like a a barrier. It's kind of like when you see people with the they've got the um, those little propellers on the back of their car or whatever, uh-huh. like shoved in their uh, uh, hitch, the trailer hitch. Or, yeah. Um, you know, and they're, they're driving, you know, whatever, 40, 50, 60 miles an hour. And it's just barely spinning. Yeah, it's barely moving. It's out of that slipstream. It's not really getting hit by any airflow. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, man, if we had like a 50 cent piece or something and sat it on there, I just would want to see like how long it would ride. Right. (laughs) Um, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not sure that'll never happen, but that was, that was where my brain went. But the, the big thing that we were talking about was weather conditions, and how those affect different types of pavements and things as well. And what's crazy is we had this conversation. We had planned doing this podcast uh, coming up. And maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just my mind made me feel like this happened. But I was landing in uh, L.A. It was cold and wet and everything. And we got near the end, and I swear I could feel like, almost felt like like black ice like the plane went like that a little bit like it shifted to the right a little bit it was corrected real quick and I'm like there's no way that was just wet ice pavement made that happen yeah what, I what mean, do you think is that is that possible for that to happen I mean Los does Angeles, that happen I mean it does in, in it Los snowed Angeles, while I was in LA yeah so I, mean, I was like oh it's possible um we definitely you know you can get some um puddling or something pud- yeah well, asymmetric um movement sometimes basically what happens is you've got a whole bunch of anti-skid systems watching the the tire rotation and when you're braking or if the airplane is automatically braking for you if there is uh, a tire or two that aren't rotating at the same speed uh, then the the aircraft will apply oh it does its own differential braking in order it'll it'll adjust brake pressures in order to to counteract that okay So so we have systems on board our aircraft that'll help um solve or correct some of those initial problems how big of a how big of an issue is it like obviously people when they're getting ready to fly and they're like yeah your flight's gonna go and it's like downpour raining and everything else how big of an effect is that truly on the flight yeah i mean decision it's something and going forward like yeah you know um 
the actions and considerations. You talked about that a little bit beforehand. Right. Like, can you talk about some of those? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we we are constantly watching the weather because that's what we live in. Is what we work in. Is in and around same. Our industry is the same yeah, way. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you guys. You know, if it's raining outside, you're probably not doing much in the that's way right. of. Uh, and we want to know co- the day before. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. So you need to know what's what's going on, and you're you're not going to be doing some work if it's going to be wet. You know, for us, obviously, we can fly when it's wet, but there are certain situations where we don't want to be flying into, which would be thunderstorms um, where you could have microbursts and other uh, associated um, conditions that are not conducive to a a safe operation. So like Mm -hmm. hail and you don't want to be flying around lightning and all that kind of stuff. So um, there are things that we, we do to try to actively avoid that. So if, you know, we're watching the weather and we see a, a massive line of weather coming through an airport that we're supposed to go to, um, we're looking at the forecast. We're looking at how long the flight's going to be. We're looking at, is there an alternative routing to get around that weather mm-hmm. that's maybe not as direct? So the flight may take a little bit longer in order to avoid the weather. Um, and then we're also looking at um, possible alternates just in case the weather forecast doesn't hold up and the line of weather stalls out. And, and instead of a cold front, it, it becomes a stationary front and the line of weather just keeps pumping through. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to have an alternative place to go. So we carry extra fuel and have a planned alternative course of action. And sometimes we carry two alternates just in case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you never know. Because you, know, you never know. And then you start running into weight problems on an aircraft because you're carrying so much extra fuel. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, we do look at the weather. We look at that kind of stuff. We we also take into account, uh, like I, I kind of alluded to earlier, uh, you know, what kind of, what kind of conditions we're going to have uh, when we're touching down, is the weather going to have already passed? Is it actively raining or is it going to be raining when we get there? And if it is, when we break out, uh, what kind of condition is the runway in? Uh, are the the markings on the runway obscured by rubber deposit? And that's where that rubber that's deposit comes back in because if you touch down on that, uh, you could get some initial hydroplaning going on um, because you don't have that water draining away as quickly and your tires are touching down on a really slick surface. Yeah, And likewise, if you don't stop the aircraft quickly enough, you may get into the rubber deposit at the other end of the runway, and it may make it harder for you to slow down or stop on the runway before you slide off. And, and obviously, you don't want to do that. Yeah, for sure. The, so what are some – give me, like, what is your favorite airport to land at, pave, pavement condition-wise? Uh, I don't know. I mean – that's hard to, it's hard to say. Which one you're like, man, it's a breeze every time, and it's nice when you land. You're like, ah, they don't even have to worry too much about it. Well, there's, uh, I can't nail what, it down to what, just what one. What about particular. a bad one? Uh, I mean, there are a bunch of bad ones. Um, generally, Mexico City is my least favorite. Okay. Um, <laughs> at Chicago O'Hare, the runways are actually fine, but it's the taxiways. taxiways the taxiways at O'Hare are. Rough. ridiculously awful i mean anybody who's been on an aircraft taxiing around um going from the terminal to the runway mm-hmm. has felt the the rather bumpy situation that they have there yeah. and, and well they're used to it by then especially if they drove in because right yeah the roads, the roads are the roads are exactly the same awful. all the way in and yeah. one way so. yeah and unfortunately in, in chicago most people are actually connecting so they don't they don't realize how horrible the road condition is <laughs> in the chicago area however uh the taxiway situation there is um, it's ridiculously poor. It's commented upon by pretty much every person I operate with. So Yeah, that it's rough. Yeah. And it's just it's it's almost shockingly bad. Yeah. 
and it's nuts. So you were going to, you had some statistics and stuff for us that you were going to kind of shed some light on some different things for us. You want to share some of those? Yeah, with us? I had um, pulled up at, you know, in, in Chicago, they're doing a massive uh, runway and airport reconfiguration. So mm-hmm. um, based upon the difference, what the airport layout looks like today versus what it looked like when I first started back in 2004, um, the runway configuration in Chicago is drastically different. They have shut down several runways, created a whole bunch of east-west parallel runways. Mm-hmm. And um, in doing so, they've had to like just have a whole bunch of construction. You can watch the whole process go as they move along. And um, they have, uh, you can find it online, it shows you know, just how much of a base, how much asphalt, how much concrete they're, they're using. And, and, you know, they're setting the airport up so that it can be flown into and out of by uh, any size aircraft, including the world's largest aircraft, which is the uh, A380, the Airbus 380 hey. aircraft. That's got uh, 22 different tires on it. So you do the math with a pound and a half of rubber off of each Oh, tire. yeah, that sucker's putting down a lot, a lot of rubber. rubber it lot, it's like 30 pounds of rubber every landing. So, Dang, um, man. So I imagine they plan around that plane. Yeah, they do. So the size of the taxiways, the distance, the separation of taxiways, who can taxi what airplane around when, when that airplane is on property. Dang, dude. Uh, it, it makes it creates an operational um, issue for a lot of airports. Yeah, so, logistics wise. Yep. So at Chicago, uh, their runway configuration is set up, or not configuration, but how they are building the runway base up. It's twelve inches of um, material, like a like your breaker on you. Let's see your base mm-hmm. material, right? So you got like twelve inches of like a limestone base, mm-hmm. and then another twelve inches of asphalt on top of that. Yep. And that's the base material. So you got twenty four inches of base before they even start the cement. So the concrete is another sixteen to twenty two inches, depending on where on the runway they're talking. So in the touchdown zones, they're looking like a twenty two inch base Dang or twenty two inches of concrete on top of a twenty four inch base. So you're talking almost four feet of pavement yep. to to handle these planes landing. And- yep and taken off man that's crazy that's a lot of pavement too yeah and you consider that all most all commercial runways are 150 feet wide yeah dude that's a lot that's a lot it makes me think in regards of the contractors that do that type of work which offhand i should know and i should have friends where i should know who the heck that is and what they're (laughs) going on but dude it cannot be an easy undertaking because here's the thing you have to make sure that that's uniform all the way across, right? So yep. your compaction ratings have to be uniform all the way across. Your depths and levels, right. of course, have to be yep. level all the way across. Same thing with your pavement. Therefore, you're going to want that compaction rating to be other. Otherwise, yep. you're going to have a failure on one side or another. Yep. Also, your tiling and under draining and everything has to yeah, be done yeah. just right because if one part of that fails, yep. you're done. You have oh, to go yeah. back. You're, you're redoing the whole entire thing. Man. Yep. Yeah, and, and then on top of that, because you have in-pavement lighting, you got wires, you got all sorts of stuff running yes. in there. Um, so in the centerline lights, you know, they're separated by 50 feet. So every 50 feet, you got a centerline light going oh, down the entire yeah. length of the runway. Um, oh, those things are moving fast, though, when you're landing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we, we, you know, we call them turtles when uh, – so when we're taking off or you land, you you know, you hear the thump, 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 thump. Yeah, you know? like the right yeah, like, turtles. Yeah, like, oh, that's a lot of dead turtles now, <laughs> no, which is kind of a joke. But, um, yeah, that's kind of nuts. When I think about the, the pavement, like how it's getting redone and stuff there and how specific that job has to be, whoever the contractor is more than likely is doing very well. 
Oh, yeah. Right? So yeah. If, if you're the guy, they're like, yeah, you get these guys to do it because they did this one and that one and whatever, and they know what they're doing. Yep. Yeah. That that would make your life more you, than likely. You do one job, you're you do a good job with that. You get a referral or a recommendation. Yeah. You put that on your resume that oh, our company or business has done this. Then yeah, that's going to do, you're going to do pretty well because it's yep. the same businesses get repeat business then. Yeah. Uh, and there's advisory circulars out there that talk about, um, you know, what elements are involved, like depending on the type of airport and what the needs mm-hmm. are of that airport. Are they're grooved, longi- if they groove them, they're grooved longitudinally, right? Uh, ladder- not- laterally, oh, they're across, laterally? laterally across the runway. Okay, so they're trying to get it to shed to the shed side. To they sides, have a crown yeah. pavement, and they're yep. trying to get it to shed to the side. Okay. Yep, yep. And, and, you know, we have, I mean, when you look at the runway distribution across the country, 85% of our runways are actually asphalt runways. Yeah. Um, so... You know, when you look at a big commercial airport that's handling heavier, heavier aircraft, generally they go with cement mm-hmm. uh, on top for the base course or for the top coat. But um, the, uh, the the base mm. is going to be asphalt because that helps stabilize the cement yeah. and pr- protect it from cracking, which is yeah, more it, devastating. It, and with all that with all that work and all that cement and everything, you don't want to replace that sooner than later. Right, like, yeah, you, know, you got to keep it, keep it in, in good shape. We got to keep it there. I yeah. wonder lifespan... Of some of these pavements at some of these airport airports, man. Yeah. You know, like it, it, some of them, I'm sure, depending on where they're at, what the base was, what kind of traffic was on them, right. and everything else, how long they lasted. But you, you, you don't want to be replacing runways. No, like, no, it's it's ex, it's expensive. It takes a lot. It takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you'll have an airport that you know when they have a planned runway um, replacement. They just did one in Dallas Fort Worth not too terribly long ago. And, um, uh, you know, that, that, are, that runway was out for, it was like eight months, nine months. I mean, as they have to like redo everything, they, you know, tear it all up and they come back in relay everything and nightmare. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, but I was going to point out to you, cause I, you know, I just kind of mentioned the, uh, you know, got both asphalt and concrete runways. There actually is a difference that we will, you can, you can definitely tell when you're landing on a, a dark surface, so if you're landing on a, an asphalt runway, nice dark surface, it actually impacts uh, the landing a little bit too. Yeah, especially on a slow hot, you down faster. Uh, it will, um, but it also on a hot day, um, you'll you will sink through when you normally oh, yeah. would flare because uh, you got hot air rising up. So that air density over top of that runway is is a lot. Uh, that the density is a lot higher. So it's like. Um, the uh it expands the, all the it molecules expands all the everywhere. out so you're coming down and you normally get a cushion of air that you in, in ground effect as we call it as aircraft comes down and and uh settles in and uh on a hot day on a, a hot day less, huh? you mush right through it and so when you you do your flare and you think you're gonna get landing. that yeah you're gonna get a harder firmer landing on a on an asphalt runway than you will on a concrete runway yeah that's ironically right when it comes to asphalt um on on a really 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 hot day, it's it's similar like it's similar like to your driveway, which yeah. we take care of. I yeah. should say that right. Yeah. I should probably put that out there. Like we take care <laughs> of your driveway too, Brandon. Yeah, um, and I appreciate it. <laughs> n- hey, no worries, my friend. Um, obviously, if the boys are out riding their bikes in early spring yeah. and they put their kickstands down, you usually don't see too much of a problem. Now we hit August when it's 110 degrees and 90% humidity and the boys put their kickstand out, you look over and their bike's laying on the ground. Yep. The kickstand has went through the pavement, right? It's, yep. it's not only has the asphalt expanded because of the heat, but also 
because of the heat, it's caused the binding and the oils to kind of come apart a little bit too, yep, right? Sure. So most assuredly, similar to when um, our friend Spencer Boyd or uh, any of our other racing friends that are friends of the podcast, when they are taking one lap around the track and it's early and they're practicing or whatever. It's going to be a different situation. Right. Their tires aren't causing, you know, those tires are lasting a lot longer than in the middle of the heat when they're out there and you're going by. Like their tire literally looks like the road. They've picked up so much of it because it's expanded and kind of pushed itself out and let go of the rock that it hits it. It's because everything's expanding and becoming soft. So it makes total sense that not only is the air warm and that's created less of a cushion, but then that pavement above it, that air, that air is even hotter, yep. right? So then you have less of a cushion to where you're going to come down to a rough landing. Come down firmer on an air, on a surface that's a little softer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on a surface that's a little softer. Yeah, so it makes it like it makes it like glue. I'm sure. So yeah. I'm I'm willing to bet you lose more rubber on those days than yeah. you do the days when it's like it is right now yeah. in mid March. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt well. that at all. Yep. Man. Wow. Well, Brandon, I really appreciate you joining us, man, yeah, and, and, yeah, and shedding it. some light on this. This is a conversation that I just never th- expected to have or never expected that we would be able to go in depth on when it comes to it. But, yeah. dude, it's totally, totally cool. Like, yeah. you take a lot of it into consideration. Like, people, like, there's a lot going into it. Like, this guy doesn't just learn to fly and is like, hey, it's gravy from here on out. Right. Like, there's a lot more going into it than what you think. Yeah, well, that's true, I think, with a lot of professions. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm sure yeah. dentists just don't pull teeth like they used to, although they used to be barbers at the same time. They used to be dentists <laughs> and barbers were the same person. So, cool. All right, my friend. Well, I really, really appreciate you yeah. joining us. Yeah. It was fantastic. Uh, very, very insightful conversation when it comes to that. So, for myself and for Brandon Bateman, uh, Captain Brandon Bateman, uh, this is Blacktop Banter, where we speak asphalt. Peace. We've had our 800 network phone number on the side of our trucks and equipment for a while now. And having branding power over your competition makes it easy for people to remember. And all the calls go directly to you. Plus, when you join the 800 Payment Network, you're joining over 300 payment contractors who have generated over $2 billion in combined total sales. You can call 1-800-PAVEMENT or you can go to the website 1-800-PAVEMENT.COM and you'll find them. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I've been using Stencil Plus for years. They have everything I need for line striping jobs from multi-piece stencils, stencils with different thicknesses, stencils for the big box stores, custom stencils, and they have free shipping on all orders within the U.S. Plus, for a limited time, friends of this podcast can save an additional 10% on all orders at Stencil Plus. Just use code BB10. That's BB10, as in blacktop banter, at stencilplus.com. From spray tips pour pots, street brooms and handles, flagging tape, chalk lines, and more. Liberty Supply is a one-stop shop for all your asphalt tool and equipment supply needs. Visit their website at libertysupply.biz or call 800-397-9907 and tell them Marvin sent you.